Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Welcome, Victory. I'm so glad to see you here today at Church Online. I want you to know how much I love you, and I want you to know that I am praying for you and your family. You know, these are unprecedented times we're living in. Literally, we're living in history-making moments right now. And I want to encourage you today that you are not alone. I know it looks and feels like nothing we ever planned for, nothing we ever expected or hoped it would look like, but you have a church family that you can be connected in. So please don't stay distant. Let this be a time, let this next week be the week where you take the next step in your faith. If you're struggling with loneliness or depression, get connected with somebody in the church who can build your faith, not who will build your fears. Get connected with people. We have some great groups that you can be a part of, that you can find some of your very best friends of your life, I believe, in these groups. So make sure this week you get connected. But why don't we take just a moment, block everything else out, and prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from our Heavenly Father today. Lord, we just thank you that you're moving in our midst right now. Lord God, that even when we feel disconnected and far from one another, that you are right there with us. God, we pray even right now you would join our hearts together in unity. God, I just ask right now that you would speak to us today. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready to receive from you. So, Lord, let your word go deep inside of our hearts. Let it take root and produce fruit in us because we are good ground. And if you agree with me today, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Today, the word of the Lord is unguarded attachments. An attachment is something that we're holding on to. And really, we can be attached to a lot of different things. Many people are attached to their money or, or stuff they bought with money. I don't know if you've ever watched this show called Hoarders. It's terrifying, fascinating, and heartbreaking to watch all at the same time. And it just really shows, man, people are attached to their stuff. I mean, we buy stuff to guard and protect the stuff that we already bought, right? People are attached to those things. People are attached to their relationships. They're attached to their ideals of how things should be. People are attached to their opinions, to their political parties. Man, people are overly attached to their emotions and their feelings. They're attached to depression and anxiety. It's so crazy and so sad to see so many Christians these days, especially attached to the things in this life more than they're attached to the promises of God. So the question for us is this, what are we attached to? There's a phrase that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, when he was talking about the last days. He said, the love of most would grow cold. So in other words, Jesus is saying, the love most Christians have for Jesus and his word would grow cold. It would become distant. It would become secondary. And to me, that's such a sobering statement. How could someone who's experienced the incredible and extravagant love of our Heavenly Father grow cold and distant in their love 
for him? How can we have these amazing moments where we're in God's presence, where he's moving so powerfully in our lives and we recognize beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's working, that he's speaking to us? How can we experience that and then so easily become casual and flippant and distant in our love and connection to our Heavenly Father? But it just happens that way. Jesus would say it again, Revelations chapter 3, verse 15. He said, I know your deeds. In other words, he's saying, I see what you do. I see you coming to church. I see you with your Bible. I see the good things you try to do. I see that you're neither hot nor cold. And I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's kind of like those... Chick-fil-A waffle fries that you had to have. You know, you go through the drive through line and they're so hot and tasty and you get the little dipping sauce and oh, they taste so good. I don't know about y'all, but I am getting hungry just talking about those. And if you are watching this on Sunday, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but if you have, when you get those waffle fries, if you've ever left them out on the counter for any period of time, you know, and then you come back later in the day to try to eat them again, it's like, these are horrible. How could this ever be a thing that tasted delicious? It's terrible because it's sat on the counter. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's in this weird middle amoeba stage of a waffle fry. And here Jesus is saying this to us. He's saying, hey, church, I wish you were either all in or all out. I wish you either loved me or hated me, but you're this weird in-between lukewarm waffle fry thing and it's disgusting. It makes me want to vomit. And it's just so true. So many Christians live this lukewarm, watered-down life. I believe in God, but I don't need to do what he says. I love Jesus, but, you know, this is personal. No one needs to know about it. I'm believing God's going to multiply my finances, but don't talk to me about giving. That's Old Testament anyways. You know, I believe in the power of prayer. I prayed last night over my tacos. You know, I'm seeking God with my whole heart. In fact, when I move in with my girlfriend, we're going to seek him together. Like We've got to wake up and stop trying to act and sound and behave like the rest of the world and just mix in a little bit of God on the weekends. We need more of God in our marriages and in our relationships because if all we're trying to be is like the world in our marriage, we're going to end up with the kind of marriages the world has that are broken and segmented. In our finances, it's the same way. In our emotional and mental health, if all we have is the world and a little bit of God sprinkled in here and there, man, it's going to be disaster. And so many Christians live this way. They have the same values as those who don't know Jesus and then they find themselves alone, miserable, frustrated, and broken because they're trying to build a life the way the world does. Can I just tell you, it will never work. Worldly solutions don't fix a spiritual problem. Only the Spirit of God can bring peace into confusion. It's only the stripes of Jesus that offer physical and emotional healing. It's the Holy Spirit that brings comfort and direction in our lives. Several months back, God spoke to me this phrase, unguarded moments. And he began to show me through scripture what unguarded moments look like and, and how they come into our lives and how as believers in Christ that we could be on guard against these unguarded moments in our lives because we have a spiritual enemy. And he is out to do whatever he can do to disqualify people, to take out anyone he can. 
But I believe that if we would be alert, if we would be on guard and keep our love for Jesus and his word, if we would stay hot and passionate about Jesus, man, we could escape the traps from these unguarded moments. And then we could be those who are actively helping others avoid the traps in their lives. So if you miss any of the weeks in this series, or maybe you just need a refresher, I would encourage you right after this service is over, you can hop on our website, victoryorlando.com, and find the other ones there, or on our YouTube channel. So what is an unguarded moment? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked today. An unguarded moment is a moment or a situation that we're involved in, but we're not on guard. We're spiritually asleep. We're either not able or not willing to recognize what's happening, and as a result, it allows our spiritual enemy to slip in unnoticed and bring hurt and destruction in our lives. These kind of moments happen all the time, all around us, and every person has the opportunity to get stuck in these traps. But at the same time, every person, every believer, has the opportunity to be on guard against the working of our spiritual the enemy, the devil, to not get stuck in those traps. You know, I grew up playing sports, and as I got into higher levels of competitions, one thing a good coach does is he develops and then teaches a specific game plan to the team so the team could defeat the next team they face. And if your favorite NBA or NFL team went to play their next game without a specific game plan and they tried to just make it solely on their athletic ability, guess what, they would most likely lose. Why? Because a solid game plan is required. A strategy is needed to defeat a specific team. It's the same thing in our military. Our officers don't just send troops out into the battlefield without a specific objective and a specific plan. Why? Because in order to defeat their enemy and return home safely, they need a battle plan. Now let's shift this to our lives. So many Christians are trying to just live a good life, to be a better Christian, to get through, and maybe they're really even really praying or believing that God will show up for them in some way, but they stay stuck. They stay defeated and depressed. They even get easily offended and deceived. Why? Because they haven't put God's game plan, his strategy, into practice in their daily lives. So let's be really clear today. God's word, the Bible, is our game plan. It's God's strategy for us to overcome in this life, to live in victory on our worst days, to live an abundant life, and to allow our spirits to be strengthened so that we're not rocked around by our feelings and everything that comes our way. Let me say it this way. The life of following Jesus is a journey to trust Him more and to build our lives more and more on the Word of God and less and less on all the things around us. But what happens is that so many people get involved in a situation where they're hurt or upset and all of a sudden they begin to hold on to the pain. They begin to attach themselves to that pain. And rather than choosing unforgiveness, they experience an unguarded attachment. And before long, they're struggling with emotional hurts and pains. They're angry. Their feelings are out of control. Their emotions overwhelm them. And what's happened is they weren't on guard in that moment against the plan of their spiritual enemy to get them pulled off and into bitterness, offense, and physical disease because they never allowed God's plan and strategy to really replace their own plans and strategies. They know some scripture maybe. They maybe even attend church, and those are good things. We need those things in our lives, but those are just the starting point. 
as followers of Jesus, the more we grow, the more we live in Jesus, the more and more we need to begin to reflect his values and his plans. This is what scripture calls growing in maturity in Christ. And honestly, can I tell you, we need more Christians who are growing in maturity, taking what they've heard and applying it to their lives. It's called being a doer of the word. Because right now, we have so many Christians who are only concerned about consuming information. But what happens is, and all we do is consume information, then we have so much truth, but we're not even able to grasp a hold of what is truth or godly wisdom because we have so much information that we haven't put to practice in our lives. So how do good people, how do good Christians end up deceived and pulled off track? There are lots of reasons why people make the choices that they do, and I don't want to oversimplify or minimize the things that others have been through or the pains that people have experienced. But I do believe this, that if we will go back far enough, there was an unguarded moment. They weren't aware. They didn't realize the destructive force that their choices were allowing into their lives. But I want to encourage someone today. We don't have to be people that fall victim to the attacks of our spiritual enemy. We don't have to be people who stay down and out. We are people who get back up again. Come on, Proverbs 24, 16 says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Tell someone sitting near you today, say, I'm getting back up. That's right. We are getting back up. So regardless of whether you fell into a trap or maybe you recognize an unguarded attachment in your life that you've experienced, there's hope for you. God is the restorer. In fact, this is God's specialty in bringing people who are broken, hurting, who've been counted down and out, those who've been overlooked, and he specializes in bringing healing and wholeness and strength and purpose and joy into their lives. That's how good God is, and that's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to bring you out of those broken places and set you in a place where you can run with strength and perseverance. Come on. I know right now I'm preaching good today and I need your amens. I know we're online, but I need you to shout me down a little bit. So today, what I want to do is look at a story from the New Testament in Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. What's happened to this point is that Jesus was on the cross, he died, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, and he's ascended to heaven. The disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There's been miracles and healing. They've been preaching in the name of Jesus, and the church is beginning. People are getting saved all over the city, and the church is growing. What's amazing in this, as people are believing in Jesus, and we see this picture all throughout the book of Acts of unity in the church. It says they were of one heart and one mind. They were gathered together. There wasn't this division. And man, I long to see this type of unity again in the church. We need it in the church today. So we see in scripture them gathering together to worship. We see them going then from house to house in small groups, eating together, strengthening each other in their faith. And then we see the church growing because of their unity. We see that each one of them, it says, sold what they have and gave to the church to meet the needs of those in lack. Let me show you this in scripture so you don't have to take my word for it. Turn back one page to the very end of Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. 
It says all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all of them, that there was no needy persons among them. Isn't that amazing? The church was so united in heart, in desire, in purpose, in vision, that it wasn't a me versus them. It wasn't a mine and theirs. Man, what happened was they were in unity, and the result of this unity, man, God's power was working in such great ways that every need was met. Man, it's like they realized that this life and all they had in their hands wasn't all about them. And it's the same for you and me as well. And oftentimes when people hear this passage of scripture, they read it, they get all weirded out. They begin to get jealous and maybe a little greedy or they think that, man, well, if they all shared and everybody had this exact same thing. And, you know, it's like, well, if you were really my brother in Christ, you would sell your house and give it to me so I could have a better one. But that's not what's happening here because that attitude is selfishness and greed. It's not that everyone has exactly the same stuff. Let's just be clear. It's like the attributes of selfishness and greed and jealousy are not from God. They're from our spiritual enemy, the devil. What's happening in the scripture is that the people allowed the plan of God to be their plan. I'm sure they had their own thoughts about what to do with their money and their houses and their land, but instead they decided to love their neighbor like they loved themselves so that when there was a need or a vision, it was no problem. It was no question. Let's meet the need. It was an expression of the love of God. Scripture goes on and says, From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to the, from the sales, and put it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. So we still see people had land, people had buildings, and we see people that didn't. And so it's not some weird everybody's equal kind of thing, but it's just, hey, what do we need to do to meet the needs around us? What do we need to do to advance the name of Jesus in our city? It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the feet of the apostles. This is awesome. I would even say that this is intentional generosity, looking for specific places and ways to be generous. But man, in the same place of intentional generosity, it's a place where so many Christians get stuck in an unguarded attachment. Even talking about generosity today, many people are already cringing on the inside. They put up the wall. They're feeling that tug. Here we go again. The church just wants my money. Like, can I tell you, that is a lie from your spiritual enemy, the devil. And when you hear that lie, what you need to know, that lie is a warning flag of an unguarded attachment. Man, I'm just so thankful for people in this church here at Victory who live this way in intentional generosity. So many of us are giving faithfully to God through this church. And because of your generosity, lives are being changed. Man, the young generation of leaders is being raised up. Nations around the world are hearing the gospel of Jesus. Man, rescue homes for boys and girls who are being saved out of sex trafficking in Southeast Asia are being built because of your generosity. So I want to say thank you, Victory, for allowing the love of God to flow through you through your generosity. Man, there are others in this church who give over and above their tithes. 
That's what the scripture calls an offering. You know, the tithe is the first 10% of what comes into our hands is returned to God through his church. And an offering then is giving over and above that tithe. And I think about the lady who gave $8,000 to purchase the Hope Truck. Now because of her generosity, every month food is being distributed to families and the gospel of Jesus is being preached from that truck. Just this month in July, as a church, we're going to be giving away over 1,800 pounds of food right here in Orlando, and God gets the glory. I think about a couple in our church that served so faithfully on our dream team. Last year, they sold their house and made a lot of money from it, and they were able to get out of debt and save some of that money, but they called me and they said, Pastor, before we do those things, we want to put God first. Man, I was just overwhelmed. They tithed, and then they gave over and above that tithe to build a water well in Southeast Asia. Now every day, people are coming to that well to get water. And there are local pastors who have been trained up to minister the love of Jesus because of their generosity. Come on, we could give God some praise for that right there. The very next verse is Acts chapter 5, verse 1, and the story is really just continuing from what we just read. And Barnabas, and he sold what he had and gave to the apostles. Let's pick up the story right there. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So we see the story continuing. They're trying to be generous, and we see it happening right here. Maybe you're thinking, wow, pastor, that is amazing. It's so generous. They're selling what they have. I mean, it really is generous when you think about selling some land and giving the money. Most people struggle to give $10, and here they're giving the proceeds from selling a piece of land. But I want you to see in this next scripture their unguarded moment of attachment. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, And he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Tell someone sitting near you today, unguarded attachment. Now, I heard this story so many times growing up in Sunday school, and I always assumed that this couple were purposely like greedy. They were bad. They were liar, liars, pants on fire, right? But truthfully, we don't know what happened between the sale of the land and when they gave it. We don't know the conversation. We don't know the motives of Ananias and Sapphira. But maybe it was like what happens today when God speaks to someone and then they find themselves attached more to the thing than they are invested in pursuing obedience to their Heavenly Father, justifying everything. Well, if I really invested this this way, then I could be even more generous later on rather than just obeying what God has spoke to them to do. And then what happens is they experience an unguarded attachment because they want the thing, the job, the relationship, the money, the status, the emotional baggage, or whatever it is, they want those things more. Whatever the reason for the attachment, when we move away from obedience and move towards the attachment, it always opens the door for our hearts and our minds to be filled with the lies and the deceptions of our spiritual enemy, the devil. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. Now, I don't think the issue here was Ananias and Sapphira, did they give 100% or 50%? I think the issue was more of what did God speak to them to do and then what did they do about it? I know too many times in my life God has spoken directly to me to do something and I've drugged my feet to do it, 
Maybe one day down the road, I'll finally talk myself into it. I'll finally be ready. I'll finally be spiritual enough to do it as if I need to qualify myself to do what God has called me to do. Let me say it this way. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And I, I, I just pray today that if you recognize a place of disobedience to God in your life, don't stop there. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't let condemnation push you away from God. Just repent. Turn to God. God is so good. And can I tell you, repentance unlocks God's forgiveness and his restoration. I remember a time in my own life when God spoke so clearly to me and my wife Heather to give away a car that we had. And I remember asking God to be like, hold up God, a car? You want me to give away this car? That's worth a lot of money and we could use it to get ourselves a better car. But it was unmistakable. God spoke so clearly to us, give this car to this young lady. We drug our feet. We said, oh, we better pray about this a little bit more. And we did. And days turned into weeks and turned into months. I'd like to tell you as your pastor that we just did the great spiritual thing and did what God told us to do in that moment, but we didn't. We delayed our obedience and we finally got to the point months and months later where we said, okay, we'll finally give this car away. And we did and we blessed that young lady and we're so thankful for that opportunity. But delayed obedience is disobedience and we had to repent to God that we did not obey when he told us to. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. We don't just run and jump off of a cliff. We're not acting impulsively. And I would even say, don't judge how someone else is obeying what God spoke them to do and just call it impulsive because you don't know what God has spoken to them. So instead of focusing on what everyone else is doing, I'm just going to seek God for what he's asking me to do. And then I'm going to do that in the time frame he gives it to me. So the story goes on. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Everybody say, unguarded attachments. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias paid for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And there is the picture of unguarded attachments. She could have easily said in that moment, no, this is actually the price we paid, not the one, not that one. But she allowed her attachment to the money and her husband to grow larger than her attachment to the Spirit of God. And it cost them everything. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. That is a crazy story. And this is not a message to cause us to be fearful or to live in poverty. This is actually the opposite. I want to build your faith today that you can be awakened to the voice of God and what he's leading you to do so that you can have the faith and the courage in that moment to do whatever it is he's leading you to do. So over the next few minutes, I want to give us three keys to eliminating these unguarded attachments in our lives. If you're taking notes, I hope you'll write these down today. Here's the first one. This world is not our home. You know, this life is not all about this life. This life is about how we love God and how we show his love to other people. 
And at the same time as we're living to love God, love other people, our life on this earth is so short. We're here for one moment and gone the next. Proverbs 27 and James 4 make this so clear. It says, we're not promised tomorrow. Our lives appear for a moment and then vanish away. Maybe you're thinking, wow, pastor, that sounds so discouraging. Listen, it's only discouraging if all of your hope and all of your investment and everything of your life is wrapped up here in this earth. Man, we aren't here for this earth. We are here to live for eternity. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said it this way, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So what do we do instead? Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's just so clear. Jesus isn't trying to get our treasure. He's trying to get our heart because he wants our hearts with him in heaven. Come on now. So evidently, the way that we live and the decisions we make on this earth are important. We can either store up things of value on this earth or in eternity. And the way that we store up treasures in heaven is found when we prioritize God's word and obedience to him. The truth is, what we believe about eternity determines how we live today. But regardless of what you believe, you will exist eternally somewhere. Your physical body will cease to exist at some point, but your soul, your spirit, the real you, will live either in heaven with your heavenly Father or separated from Him in hell forever. One day, your heart will beat for the last time. And at that point, there is no do-overs. That's why in my life, Man, I fight to keep eternity in mind, to make sure that every step I take, I'm pleasing to my Heavenly Father. That's my goal in life. And it's because it's just so easy to find ourselves more concerned about this world than eternity, more attached to the things, whatever they are, the sports, degrees, the job, the promotions, more money, the house, the perfect relationship, popularity, more followers, more likes, whatever it is. Listen, it's time for us to cut the roots off of the things of this world, the things that will not last and the things that do not matter. What do we do instead? We've got to allow the Spirit of God to move on the inside of us, to recalibrate our hearts and our minds, everything in our lives, so that we have one goal while we're passing through this life is to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Here's the second key to eliminating unguarded attachments in our lives. God is the owner. We are the managers. This is really something that each of us have to settle in our hearts. God is the owner of everything, not us. Psalms 24 verse 1 says this way, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's you and me. We live in this world and God created us and he created everything around us. So, in other words, everything that we have, including our money, our families, our spouse, our kids, our house, it all belongs to God. So, in that light, God has really entrusted us with a lot. So many people are just focused on trying to get more of something, more money, more influence, more respect, or whatever. Can I tell you, our ability to handle or manage something will, be de will determine the altitude we can rise to in that area. So in our finances, if we can't keep to a budget and we're up to our eyeballs in debt, 
that's a good indicator we aren't good managers of finances and we'll probably stay at that financial level until we can prove that we can steward or manage what we already have in a better way. That's why having more money won't make a person more generous. It's money's just magnifying the contents and beliefs that are already in that person's heart. It's the same with leadership and influence. Sometimes people say, when I get that promotion, when I get that title, when I'm the team leader, then I can lead. Listen, the qualities of a leader don't change just because they got a title. There might be increased level of responsibility, but the same heart, the same attitudes are inside of that person. So before you ever get considered for a position in leadership, man, begin to develop leadership characteristics and habits. Before you have a million dollars in the bank, begin to develop a generous heart. And that brings me to the third key today, to eliminating unguarded attachments in our lives. Develop an intentionally generous spirit. I'm not here to twist your arm or try to sweet talk you into anything today. I'm just here to sow the word of God into your life. But it's your decision on what you allow to grow and produce in your life. And this intentional generosity, man, this is the next level stuff right here because it's going past randomly giving here and there, tipping God or feeling like, ah, I guess I should, uh, maybe I should, but we're then shifting gears to a conscious decision to be generous on every occasion. And the good news is when you and I make that decision to live that way, man, God gets involved and look what he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So there's the decision. No one's making me do this. Like I'm deciding to shift my attachments from the things of this world to the things of the Spirit of God. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Skip down to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. That's every way. So it's not just monetarily, but it's every way. You are enriched in your relationships, in your marriage. You'll be rich in your emotions and in joy. You'll be rich in ideas, in your gifts, in your family, in your health. Why? Why would God enrich us? He says, so that you can keep more for yourself. So that you can be rolling large through the neighborhood in your bins, baby. No, he says you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. So God will bless us with more than we need. Not so that we can just have more than we need, but so we can be a blessing to those around us. That's why we say we are blessed to be a blessing. So wherever you are today, please don't click off of the service just yet. Let's stay in this moment right here together, right where you are, and let's begin to pray and ask God to move in us today. Lord, I thank you that right now you are moving on the hearts and the minds of your people. Lord God, I thank you that even where maybe we've fallen into a trap, Lord, we've gotten attached to some things where we felt distant from you, Lord God, I thank you that you never left us. You are right there with us. So God, I pray even in this moment right now that you're restoring your people. If this is you today, you recognize 
You've had some unguarded attachments. I would just encourage you right now, just begin to lift your hands. Just begin to cry out to your Heavenly Father and just repent of some of those things where you've become attached to them. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are just. Every time, God, we repent and we turn to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, Lord God. So I thank you that you're restoring us, you're making us new again on the inside out, Lord God, that it's never too far, it's never too late. So Lord God, I thank you for filling us with strength, filling us with courage. Speak to us on Holy Spirit and show us the areas where we become attached to some things and give us the courage to detach from those things so that we can be connected to your life and to your spirit. I want to pray for those of you who are here today and maybe you recognize you're still at the place where you don't even know Christ for yourself. But today you realize, man, you're tired of trying to do this on your own. You realize you can't do enough good on your own and you need Jesus. Can I tell you, you were created to know God. Problem is, sin entered the picture and it separated us from God. And on our own, there's no way for us to bridge the separation between us and God. But that's what Jesus came to do, to be the bridge that connects us to God. So today, whether you've known the Lord in the past or you've wandered away, maybe you're just making this decision for the first time, this is your moment. This is the time where God is calling out to you and saying, hey, come into the family. I love you so much. All of those who would say, yes, I want to know Jesus today. I want to give him my life and make him my savior. If that's your prayer today, you can click in the chats to raise your hand or just simply type the name Jesus in the comments. But wherever you are, let's pray out loud all together so no one is praying alone today. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me so that I could live for you. Thank you for giving me new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I believe in that moment, you are made brand new, all the old is gone. You are now a son or a daughter of God. So let me be the first to say, welcome to the family of God. And we wanna encourage you and strengthen you in your faith. So you can reach out right there in the comments, send us an email. We wanna get some resources in your hand and just help you continue to take steps in your relationship and your faith in Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to take a minute and share this message with people that you know. We can't wait to see you again next week right here at Victory Church Online.